Yes, it's me, Mike Stone, and this is the Backseat Driver Podcast. It's the fastest, it's the friendliest, and it's for all the family. The Gas Shocks 116 Trophy and 120 Coupe Cup are the fastest growing race series in the UK, taking in six one-hour races and eight sprints at all the top circuits. Visit 116trophy.com to find out more and get yourself behind the wheel. I'd like to introduce to the Backseat Driver Radio Show a motorsport enthusiast, a racing enthusiast, a rally enthusiast, and a man who took his passion for a particular 60s sports car to the most unusual heights. Justin Benson, welcome to the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Hello, Mark. Thanks for having me. Before we get on to your, uh, shall we say, passion for uh, Italian... 60s sports cars you've had in many ways quite a colourful racing and rally career haven't you well i've certainly been through a few cars in my time i'm not <laughs> sure that i've ever been successful at uh, well, you've either racing or rallying, but i have had a ball yes right from a very early age right set right out of school i mean what did you start with my very first car when i uh, passed my test at 17 was a vauxhall Oh, Vauxhall Magnum, 2300, and it, it was a phenomenal... That was a, it was a posh, powerful Viva, wasn't it? it, it for was for those who aren't quite sure what a Vauxhall yeah, Magnum yeah, 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 it was a phenomenally quick Viva. I have to tell you, it lasted three weeks with me. <laughs> we, we, um, we put Forest Springs on it, Bill Steins, and, and we thought we were going to be the rally boys of the, uh, of the century. And uh, three weeks in, my welding failed and we barrel rolled this car through Derbyshire and, and, and that set the scene for most of my racing and rallying career, I've got to tell you. Plus you also learnt how to weld after that as well, didn't you? I, I did improve my <laughs> welding a lot after that, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, bear in mind, this was 17 and we, we could do anything back in the day. It was, a, it, it, I don't know. It was possible to pick up and do anything, I thought, at the time. And if you had a book, you walked away from them, didn't you? We did, yes. yes. Yeah, or we drove it home. Yeah. We pulled it back on its wheels and drove it home <laughs> and very quietly and nobody phoned the police and, and we just got on. And you parked it at the garage and not nobody had seen you. You did indeed, yes. Now, I mean, you had a passion for the Vauxhalls, didn't you? Oh, we went through quite a few of those. We had um, well, a number of Magnums and then we had a, an HS Chevette with a Pinto engine in it that was a fabulous little rally car. Um, all sorts. All sorts, yeah. Because the one thing you were saying before we went on air, we were talking about like the Vauxhall Magnum and the Fiorenza uh, and the Droop Snoops and everything else, made famous by my guest a few weeks ago, uh, Gregor Marshall's father, Jerry Marshall. Um, at, the t- at the time, the cars to have were the Mark II Escorts, especially RS 2000s. Yeah. And it's like you said, uh, in a straight line, they, they, they will keep up with the you. RS2- as soon as you got to the hills, yeah. the Magnums left yeah. them for dead. The RS2000 would be all over you on the, on, on the flat, but as soon as you got to the hills, it, it was boring waiting around them. So, yeah, <laughs> you could just leave them for dead. It was, yeah, And we only ran them because it wasn't an Escort. Yeah. Well, you know, that was it. And when they, I conclude, because they <clears> weren't <throat> an Escort, they were cheaper to buy. They were. They were, yeah. 
and and they were fast out of the box. They were they were well not fast, talky. Yeah, talky, and that teaches you to drive a t- particular way. I so think. it's like you said, they had half a V eight in them, didn't they? They did indeed. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Heavy lump up the front. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, and from there, I mean, you you also enjoyed racing and rallying Fiat Unos. The Fiat was a fabulous idea. We took a a, a thirteen hundred Fiat Uno rally car. We took the, we dropped the suspension, welded up the rear subframe, um, put a roll, in fact, I had a roll cage in it, threw one of the seats away, and we went, um, <laughs> we we went racing with the Fiat. I can't even remember when what the series was called, but it was th- it was about thirteen hundred overhead cam Fiat engine car, so one two eight three P's, Unos. Uh, I can't even remember what the other things were, but it was a level playing field, yeah. and it was so much fun. And it's like it was, you were saying, single carb and everything else, yeah. and you did next to nothing to them because you couldn't no. do anything to them. And, and you could drive it on the limit. 1,300 yeah. car on a circuit, on the limit. Everyone had the same tyres. Everyone had the same camshaft. So much fun. Yeah. And, you know, we built a car there for peanuts, put it together, and it, and it must have done five or six series uh, seasons yeah. without a spanner being put on it. It was great fun. <laughs> Absolutely fabulous. And then there's the, uh, there's the. Shall we say you've described it as a positive barge. You 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 got yourself an ex Group N, ex Paris Dakar, big Peugeot saloon that yeah. once again just performed. It did. We bought it off an Irish guy in Ashton who'd done all sorts with it. I think it'd done the RAC a couple of times, and and that was a huge barge, and it you, you could hurl it around on the limit. It was only a two point two engine in this massive car, mm. and we were talking about Peugeots before just being. Bomb proof, and well, it the, really the, was. The, the, yeah. the ultimate car for Africa was the 504, wasn't it? I mean, they, yeah. they did everything. They, uh, it wasn't a four wheel drive, but it never seemed to make much difference to it. Yeah, I think the 505 was probably just a, a, a you know a later 504 in reality with yeah. with square panels on it. <laughs> so it, it worked, it worked a treat. Yeah. Now, I have friends who love Japanese cars, and the one thing about Japanese cars in the main is they are incredibly reliable. As you've demonstrated with your MR2 doing Le Jog. We did. We bought, we'd, in fact, I'd sold a car just a little bit before Le Jog, and I thought, I want to do this event. And we went looking for a 35-year-old car, and the only one we could find, in fact, it wasn't the only one we could find, was a, an MR2. And I thought, oh, that'll do, because I couldn't buy a Corolla with the same engine in. This, the AE86 Corollas rallied a few of those in the yeah. time. And I thought, oh, this is the same engine, this'll do. We picked this MR2 up two weeks before the jog. Mm. It had been sat for five or six years, put fuel in it, changed the oil. And set of plugs and bits and pieces. I don't think we did that. I don't <laughs> think we've got new plugs in it now. <laughs> My navigator from 25 years ago flew over from Australia and we did the jog. By the way, and just put it in, if anybody doesn't know what the jog is, L-E-J-O-G, it's Land's End to John O'Groats, the hard way. <laughs> it is indeed. We took this car, we didn't open the bonnet on the car for the whole event, and it's 1,700 miles over three days of pretty hard going, actually. It's quite tiring when you get to our well, I think they use a lot of like ex- old RAC rally of the test stages and things do, like yeah. that. They, yeah. they, they mm. are the public roads, but they are not the roads you most people would use to drive from John O'Groats to Land's End or vice versa. It's, they are the B roads. It's every it's every road you wouldn't use. <laughs> <laughs> In fact, 
Oh, absolutely fabulous. But yes, go back to Toyotas and Japanese cars. This car just performed. We didn't have to touch it. And I still own it now. And I love it. Absolutely fabulous. And regrettably, you don't use it very much, do you? Not enough, no. It's sat in, uh, it, it's, it's sat in my mother-in-law's garage at the moment. So, um, <laughs> yes. Maybe uh, maybe next year it'll it'll come out now. Uh, now we're getting past this uh, COVID shenanigans. So, I mean, with all the cars that you've raced and you've rallied, what's been the favourite ones and why? The Uno was definitely up there because it was cheap as chips. You could drive it on the limit. 1300 engine, you were driving it on the limit. The other one was a Honda Accord, which we had in the middle of the sort of road rallying days, which was a, a very early front-wheel drive 1600 Accord. Bog standard. It did 85 miles an hour flat out, yeah. but it was unstoppable. You could take it down any lane, off-road, white, in Derbyshire, Yorkshire, anywhere, mm. and it would just keep going. And it did keep going, and we it changed hands quite a few times. Mm. And, and you kept buying it back, didn't you? I did buy it back, and eventually I put, I put it through a wall somewhere up in Derbyshire, and that was the end of that. But, <laughs> but yes, that, that was how it was. I mean, like, I conclude this would have been like the motoring news road rallying and things like that. It was that era, yes. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. When, I mean, any people used to... I mean, I knew one lad whose rally car had suddenly developed problems, and he did one night rally in his wife's Volvo 340, a more unfeasible car you couldn't think of. He very hastily fit a set of spotlights to it. <laughs> and whenever it pulled up at one of the halts, you could smell this car before you could see this car. As to what state it went back to his wife, the good Lord only knows. But, I mean, that this was rallying in its classic era, wasn't it? It was, it absolutely was. My mother had a Volvo 340, which she doesn't know to this day, but that did a few rallies. <laughs> and I have to tell you, the brakes weren't on fire on that car on a couple of occasions, and it just worked. It was fabulous. Uh, I mean, a lot of the, regrettably, a lot of this has gone. I mean, there's the there's people like Tim Nash with the Lombard series. There's Brim Pierce with the Rally Revivals. I mean, they are to a degree, although they now a lot of it is on private roads and things. This is coming back. I mean, this era of rallying still has great appeal for those who remember it, and for the youngsters. The youngsters are coming along and thinking, well, it's not all this PlayStation WRC malarkey. You can you can rally proper cars, ordinary cars. You can go out and pay six hundred quid for something, stick a cage in it, two harnesses, and you're in business. The ordinary ones are the better ones. It, there's no two ways about it. You don't want a super fast Subaru. You want a thirteen hundred on the limit. Yeah. Sideways. <laughs> so much more fun. So much more fun. Yeah. Which did you enjoy rallying the most, though, a racing front wheel drive or a rear wheel <coughs> drive? Because you, you've done the both. I have done the both. I think front wheel drive. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, the MR2 is rear wheel drive, and it's remarkably well behaved. It has to be said. Mm. And my my twenty year old son has got in it and shown me up on the gravel in it <laughs> almost straight away. But no, I think front wheel drive is is. It's so easy to drive on the limit. Yeah. You don't go wrong. You lift off and it sorts itself out. And yeah. Yeah. Now, the one thing you do like, apparently, and we, we, we will use this name, this word, as infrequently as possible, but you rather like Ferrari 250 short wheelbases. But as you and I know, and anybody who is into the classic car knows, <clears throat> this is... This is international telephone number prices. <laughs> yes, out of my league, I think. 
<laughs> no, no doubt about that. So, what you've done is you've built three of your own. They are they are tributes. I think it's safe to say they're they are not kit cars because you build them. Uh, you've built three, and quite appropriately, one in red, one in white, which you run, yeah. and a green one. They are in the tricolour colours of the Italian flag. Actually, no, the green one is silver. So oh, is it? Right. It is indeed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, but it's uh, yes, I did. I built. I mean, what inspired you? I mean, what is it about the two fifty short wheelbase? Or was it the easiest one to recreate, or what? What made you want to build these cars? Uh, it, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, 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 I was, I was unaware of what was going on. Really, it's, it's about rebodying um, modern chassis. And my brother came in on Christmas, we, about four years ago, he came in and we were sort of bored, we were looking for something to do, and he said, oh, have you seen these? Mm. And we both looked at it. And I conclude they were ones done by somebody else. Yes, yeah. Um, and we looked at it and thought, oh, that's got potential. Mm. And, uh, well, four years later, um, it's taken me three attempts, but I think I've built the right <laughs> one this time. <laughs> I mean... How do you go about? I mean, the base, the basis of the car is a, it's a three series BMW, isn't it? A Z3 BMW. Z3 BMW. Yeah. I mean, how did you choose the car, and what was the process of turning the Z3 BMW into uh, a Ferrari 250 short wheelbase tribute vehicle? Because I mean, the end result, it's it's not a kit car. I mean, they are nice cars. They are nice cars. They're very nice, uh, drivable, everyday drivable road cars. Mm. Um, no, it wasn't me that really invented the whole the, the whole idea. The, I think the, the Z3 was chosen because, uh, bizarrely, it has the same wheelbase oh. as, a, as a 250. So that was a good starting point. Yeah. Um, and, uh, sorry, I mean, I, we must say before, before we continue, you are an engineer. <clears throat> So you do know what you're doing. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so when I said I'd seen one of these things and thought that's got potential, it had potential, and it just needed the corners knocking off it and um, a bit of detailing. Yeah. I think that's the that's the critical thing. And, uh, so what what was the process? How did you go about this? Because, I mean, you sat there with a Z3 BMW, nice little usable sports car, and you suddenly decide, I'm going to take this in bits, and we're going to make it look like something completely different. But the problem was, you had none of the components to make it look completely different. Uh, well, no, the, the shell came from a guy down on the south coast who'd made some moulds that were that were pretty close to the real thing. Had he um, taken them off the real thing, or did he did he look at them uh, and think, well, we can make that? Yeah, I think it was the we can make that story. Because I'm not being funny. I don't know any. <coughs> I don't know anybody who owns a 250, and. I dare say anybody who does own one is not going to be over the moon about letting somebody uh, take moulds off it, no, given the sheer value of these cars. No, they're not. They're not that close to the original thing, but it, they certainly um, invoke yeah. that that style of car. So yeah, um, the Z3. Well, I don't know. My brother and I talked about this two weeks later. I trail. I trailed a car back from um, Penzance well, a, back a, to a Manchester. A Z, a Z3. A Z3, which was a scrap car, three litre Z3 scrapper. We took the panels off it. When you take the panels off a Z3, 
what you get is a driving rolling monocoque yeah. with all the safety kit still on board. So ABS power steering, the seat belts are still bolted in, yeah. the door skins are still on. So it's it has its safety cage. Yeah. So the beauty of doing something like this is that you don't then have to go through IVA tests and things. You've got this fully certified Car. rolling chassis, if you want, Yeah. Um, and rebody it. So there are all sorts of bodies going on this type of car. But besides rebodying it, I mean, you have every other mortal thing to do. The interiors, the instrumentation, the seating. Yeah. It's got to look right. So I conclude you consulted photographs of 250s and had a little look and thought, ah, well, it needs to be like that. It's it's more about having a feel for what a sixties car was and what was available in the sixties and and you know uh, may, maybe not particular photographic evidence but just I don't know these were dream cars when we were kids so yeah they still are regrettably yeah <laughs> they well, are you've got indeed. to dream you've got to dream a bit bigger these days to own them yeah so. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that now. Detail. It's in the detail. It's in about. It's about getting the '60s feel and the '60s detail. And yeah. So if 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 it hasn't been made, then you know, sit down at the drawing board and invent it. Yeah. Yeah. And really, that's that's all the missing bits. Um, is is really where. Now you built. Did you build them on your own? Did you have a bit of help? Uh, The first one. I set off building with my brother, um, and I don't know, like all brothers, we fell out um, famously in the middle of it. Um, you know, it's good enough for Oasis, it's good enough for us. Um, and he sat there while <laughs> Fort looked at it and thought, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Eventually, I, I, well, I finished it off, um, and it's a stunning car. Um, a couple of guys, um, local guys to us painted it and it, it still is a stunning car now and that's I don't know that's three years ago um how long did it take the first one took nine months so in fact so not, not even nine not months not as long as you might think no not even nine months in fact it was January when I towed the car back from Penzance and uh, I think we were on the road by June July so <laughs> <laughs> but you don't get everything right first time yeah and this is something my bro- we get on now, my brother and I. But he he um, yesterday he took delivery of three guitar necks. I said, why three guitar necks? Oh well, you've got to get two wrong before you get one right. Yeah. And actually, that's exactly what's happened with these guys. <laughs> but uh, you know, by the time I get to the third one, that's it. I'm not making another. This is too much like hard work. And uh, yeah, I'm not saying it's perfection now. But I'm happy with it. Yeah. I'm happy with where it's gone. The first two cars, we didn't touch the interior. Um, so the first two cars have basically BMW Z3 interiors in them? Pretty much, yeah. They still have got them in. And, uh, they, you know, to glance at them, it doesn't matter. You don't see that. What you see when you look at the outside is a glorious, glorious 60s supercar. Yeah, Italian the, sports car. Oh, utterly, Yes. So you know, nobody notices the interior, um, <laughs> which is a shame because actually the, on this last car, it's the interior that's taken all the time. It's it's yeah. It was three years in the making this one, and the, and this is the one that you're in today. It is indeed, yes, yeah, yeah. and so, I love it. Yeah. So you put the effort into the one that was yours. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. I have. I've never built these things to sell. I never intended to sell them, um, and yeah, you know the. 
what can I say? Everything's for sale, isn't it? So, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I mean, in that case, if you didn't intend, why did you build three? What, what did you set out to build? Three? No, I didn't set out to build three. I set out to build one. <laughs> <laughs> and then you think, oh, I can do this a bit better, and we'll change this, and we'll change. And somebody that. came along and wanted to buy it. Yeah, yeah, and uh, you know, I still get on very well with the guys that have got the other two cars. Yeah. And yeah, we have a lot of fun. They're a fun thing to drive. They're an everyday driving car, and that is, uh, it's priceless. You know, okay, the the sixty supercar is priceless, yeah. but actually, driving one every day, yeah, that doesn't that, that doesn't even cost a tenth of, of what the, the real of, deal would yeah, cost is priceless. Yeah, I mean to drive, do they evoke the car that they are meant to pay tribute to, or does it drive like a Z three? No, I think we talked about this before. You put a wooden steering wheel in, yeah. extend the gear knob, and suddenly you think you're driving a, a, a 1950 Riley. Yeah. <laughs> it, just, it, it, it slows everything down. It, it, yeah, phenomenally. Yeah. Yeah. So when you've built them, I mean, on their logbook, what does it say they are? Uh, they're still MOT as a BMW Z3. Yeah. Practically, though... Um, you need to change the name. The DVLA will change the name on the logbook to something a bit more um, in keeping. Uh, right in keeping, but that's not going to attract attention yeah. um, from the boys in blue. Because if they're following you down the motorway, mm. looking you up on their ANPR stuff, yeah. and they're seeing a BMW Z3 that clearly is not, a BMW, not a BMW Z3. Z3 in front of them. <laughs> so, yeah. Because I suppose the thing is, if you look <clears> at the back. Well, I mean, the 250 short wheelbase is as glorious from the back as it is from the front. Oh, yeah. But no matter how you view it, it's certainly not a Z3 from the back. No, not at all. No. So, the, 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 rightly so, the DVLA will rename the, the, the logbook. It, it's still a BMW in its, in its core, and it will always yeah. be manufactured by them. Yeah. Um, because that's the safety monocoque that you're using. Yeah. Um, so, maybe... I don't know, 250, well, probably not 250, but certainly GT yeah. Coupe or something like that. Right. That will take the... Um, so it doesn't really have, it doesn't carry the BMW name and it doesn't carry the name of the great Italian manufacturer on which it's based. It absolutely couldn't yeah. ever carry that name. But no, um, it, it's about practical solutions, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Now, the interesting thing is one of the cars... He's owned by a future guest, uh, Mr. Neil Calvert, rally driver extraordinaire, and he has the red one. And I know from time to time he does compete with the car. He does, yes. Yours is a road car. Yeah. But the one thing about your road car and Neil's red one, they are they are used quite frequently as everyday cars, aren't they? Because, I mean, that was the intentions behind them. It was the glorious looks of a 60s car, the feel of a 60s car, but it's modern enough to be used as a daily driver if you want it to be. Well, central locking, electric windows, uh, ABS, power steering, traction control. Everything the original lever had. Air conditioning. Uh, what else could you want? <laughs> you know, the, the, the remote control button still works. Get out of the car, lock it, walk away. What is the reaction to these cars? Because I'm a little bit known for... I'm a great one for saying, if you can't afford the real thing, don't bother. Uh, <laughs> and one of the most reproduced... Well, two of the most reproduced cars are the Lotus Super 7, yeah. of which there are many and varied 
kit car models, besides the real, besides what you call the real deal, the Caterham 7 and the Westfields, and the other one that is reproduced in phenomenal numbers is the Cobra, the AC Cobra, that are affectionately known as fake snakes. Yep. But all these cars are built by their owners. They buy whatever, a Ford Sierra, Ford Mondeo, or whatever, they're based on those. And... I know the guys at the Northwest Kit Car Owners Club, and I take the mick out of them, and they take it in good humour and good <laughs> faith and everything else, because I grew up with a grandfather who owned a real Cobra, so I can tell immediately it's not the real thing. But what's been the reaction to these cars? Because I conclude genuine 250 owners will have seen them. They will, and it's it's not going to pass off next to. A, a, a genuine car it, it, there's no chance of that it's 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 an evocation or whatever you want to call it but uh, i don't know i was late tonight yeah because i called in to get some petrol yeah and a lovely lady uh, collared me and we must have had a 10 minute conversation about the car yeah her husband had got some rileys or whatever yeah. it was from the 60s and she said oh my husband we'd love this and we'd, we had a, a fabulous 10 minute conversation and that's what it does it just if, if i leave it on sainsbury's car park yeah i can virtually guarantee i'll come out and somebody will be taking a picture of it <laughs> and we'll we'll have a, a lovely conversation about it yeah. you can't kid on it's not a real thing it's not it's absolutely is not that yeah and there's no reason for, for people to believe that it is so you can have that conversation and just say it's a stunning thing everybody loves it and yeah well as you said i mean if you look back i mean there's various era of cars i mean there's the 20s and up to the mid 30s where nobody could touch the french no. but a lot of these cars back then were one better description a rolling chassis that was then bodied by somebody else apart from the bugatti racing cars which ettore bodied himself because i mean they weren't meant to look good well they were meant to look good but they were there for a purpose then you move into the f late 40s early 50s mm. and styles were changing there was the heavy american influence there was but then you look at the italians and the italians have always turned out a work of art. I mean, you look at Alfa Romeo's over the years, over the decades, and there's one thing you can say about an Alfa Romeo. The one thing Alfa's are is stylish. And naturally, dear old Enzo turned out staggeringly stylish cars because his idea was win on Sunday, sell on Monday. But not, every, <laughs> not everybody wanted a racing car. But a lot of the cars he produced were sports cars, touring cars, racing cars, it was all the one car and the 250 and the 250 short wheelbase and the 275 uh, and the uh, I think it's the 330 Mi Amiglia were stunning sports cars and touring cars but very efficient racing cars and rally cars and this is what people don't see these days and this is what your 250 evocation attribute recreates the days of when a car was all things to all people Indeed. provided they had the money <laughs> uh, yes yeah, yeah. <laughs> um I, I don't know. yes they did i mean the, the, the i think that certainly with the 250 the 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 competition cars had an alloy body yeah and the uh, the road cars the lusso cars would have had a, a steel body yeah and that was the only difference they're on the same chassis same engine um yeah, and, and why not road cars and yeah 
But the thing was, those people who bought them as a road car would still compete in them. Oh, yes. Though they didn't buy... OK, I think if you spoke nicely to the uh, boys and girls in Maranello, especially uh, Enzo himself, he might make you one, or he might sell you one that uh, has come to the end of its life with the factory. But it made little difference. I mean, people bought these cars and competed in them. They did, and I don't know. We weren't far from that in the in the eighties. We we were just picking up whatever we could and racing and rallying it. it these days, a, a racing car is so far removed yeah. from a, 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 an ordinary road car, and that that I think is that's the difference. That's what's changed. And in my opinion, it's a shame because. I mean, your your evocations come from an era when there'd be many a little boy, probably in Italy or in London or one of the major European capitals, would stand and gaze through the showroom windows at these cars yeah. and just his mind would run away in fantasy about maybe one day he might own one or somebody might pay him to drive one. And But today, you look at a competition car... You don't look at it in a showroom. The only thing you can see it on is a start line because they are not made by the factories anymore. They tend to be built by specialists. The teams will make them themselves. They bear no resemblance to the showroom car. They are, in many ways, in my opinion, modern motorsport, be it circuit racing of modern cars and running of modern cars, excludes the general public, excludes the normal buyer because he cannot relate to the car he sees, to the car in the showroom. I couldn't agree more. And any fun that I've had in motorsport really has been in the, the cheaper end of the um, spectrum. Standard car, running it on the limit. Yeah. Uh, and, yeah, that's, that, that's what's missing. The other thing is, as well, 60s, 50s, 60s, 70s possibly 80s motorsport taught people how to look after cars because unless you employed a mechanic or your mate was a mechanic who used to come along and do it for you after you bent it or over revved it or done whatever to it that was an era of motorsport when the competitors looked after their own cars especially like motoring news night rallying level yeah yeah i think i we i think these days we think of it as barnyard engineering and it, it it was and is and still is possible to run those cars in that way. But yeah. these, you go, go to a modern car, too much electronics and everything. Well, they don't encourage you to lift the bonnet, do they? They don't even have a dipstick anymore. You press a button that might tell you if there's a, if it needs a bit of oil in or not. Yeah. yeah. You are completely removed. And that, that's something with the your 250. It... Okay, underneath it's a BMW, but it will still encourage its owners, okay, there's only three owners, you being one of them, to look after the car themselves to a degree. I mean, if they're going out on a Sunday morning, I mean, it's one of the things I do with my Morgan. If I'm going out to do a long ride or early on a Sunday morning, I spend, probably only takes me 20 minutes, but I spend part of Saturday afternoon in the garage checking the Morgan over. And it's part of the pleasure of owning it. And I conclude that's something that though the 250 is a modern car underneath its 60s uh, apparel, will tempt its its three owners to look after it more. I look after it, clean it, but I've got to tell you, this last white car, I've 
built it, put it on the road, and I, I don't think I've lifted the bonnet since <laughs> I finished it. So, no, your theory's, uh, your, your theory's down the pond. I'm blowing my own theory out there. <laughs> you have, you have. And it, but I, I think that was about the fact that you, the third car, the third guitar, it's... You get to the end, and I didn't rush it. It's three years this one's taken me to do. And so it took you longer than the first two? Yeah, because it didn't go on the road until it was finished. Right. And it absolutely was finished the day it MOT'd, and I, I, genuinely, I don't think I have lifted the bonnet. Yeah. Which I, I think I've scored. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like you said, you drive it differently. What what sensation do you get when you're driving it? Because not only does it look like a 60s Italian supercar, but you built it. Okay, you didn't build the running gear because, as we all know, it's a Z3 underneath. But it's got to give you added pleasure to drive it, knowing the fact you built it. Absolutely. No doubt. It, it's... <laughs> I don't know. Is everyone looking at you? I don't know what it is. It just it, it's. We're not being funny. It's like out in the Morgan. People do look at you and people smile at you and wave at you. They do. And Certain cars you drive for the pleasure of ownership because you want to own them, but you know full well you will attract attention in them. Yeah, and I don't know. Maybe that's why we do it. Maybe that that's maybe that is the nub of it. <laughs> but actually, no. It's a nice thing to drive. It's and if it makes people smile, well, come yeah. on, happy days. Now, you've already said you're not building anymore. So what's the next thing you're building? Because I've met too many people like you who say, that's it, no more, I'm not doing that again. And six to 12 months down the line, you suddenly discover, oh, they are doing it again. If you did do it again, what would it be? Would it be another 250? Would it be another Italian? Or would you look at something like an Aston or a Jaguar? Or what, what, what could tempt you to do it again? I don't know. I think it would have to be a genuine, um, a, 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 a classic restoration rather than re recreation. Yeah. And I don't know. Um, the, the right thing will come up. It might be um, an Alpha, maybe yeah. an early Alpha or a, a Lancia Fulvia, something like that. So it, it, it would, would be Italian. Me. Yeah, and it would be something with a bit of a rally history to it. Yeah. So, yeah. Something of, of that ilk, but then they're all rotted away, which is, <laughs> which is the benefit of a modern BMW chassis, I suppose. Well, that's the thing with a lot of Italian <clears throat> classic cars. Don't People say, well, don't take it out in the rain. Why not? Well, it probably will fall in bits because they were never built. Enzo didn't build his cars to last for the simple reason. He wanted them to come back and buy another one. I, I had a, a, a three-year-old Alpha Sud yeah. back in the day. Great car. Uh, absolutely fabulous. And it looked absolutely stunning. Until it rained, and then it left brown stains on my mother's drive. <laughs> and you just know it's not a keeper. Yeah. And that was the case. I mean, they are incredibly rare now with the little Alpha Suds, especially yeah. if you've got the 1.5 uh, TI Cloverleaf. I mean, that was an awesome little yeah, thing. they were fabulous. Again, drive it on the limit. Little, yeah. little engine, drive it on the limit. Front wheel, front wheel drive, uh, really, as, as it came in. Yeah. Between there and the Astras and, yeah. A gorgeous little car, but uh, all rotted away. Now, you did the jog in the uh, MR2. Do you still hanker or have ambitions to drive in any of the big classic long distance rallies? Yeah, we've um, we've taken the MR2 and we've we've put um, a, a stage rally logbook on it. We've rebuilt it a little bit, um, beefed it up a bit, and 
I don't know, I'd love to go and do mull and places like that. I haven't mm. done them in the past. So, yeah, maybe that's the next thing for me. Yeah. So the urge to not rally has never left you? No, I think I probably um, took a back seat when the kids came along and um, well, I get a bit older and they've left. So When you were saying your lad, your lad enjoys doing a bit? Yeah, yeah. And um, uh, unfortunately, he leaves me behind now. <laughs> <laughs> Give him a car that's not as quick. Well, maybe not, but uh, yeah, he seems um, he seems quite competent. So, yeah. I mean, what, what what's your family's reaction to the two fifties? Um, they love it. The, um, it it's the, well, I mean, the, 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 the they've been around from the inception. So yeah, they're, they're a lovely thing. Um, happy to go anywhere in it. It's so usable. Yeah. Um, you know, we all use it. And, and I must say, when you turn up somewhere, and yep. most people will think it's the real thing. Uh, everybody, I mean, that, when you turn up in, a, in your 250, whether it's yours or whether it's a real thing, I mean, it's style when you roll to a halt outside somewhere, isn't it? Yeah, Okay, absolutely. it says car park, maybe not. But you turn up at a nice hotel or a nice pub or something like that, and it's the style that the car evokes. It is. And that's, that's, the, that's the grin factor. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So, you never know, you might build something else. Because I get the feeling that the, the urge is still there. I think so, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Some, something will come along. Or, or maybe, we'll be, maybe we'll be rebuilding the Toyota soon enough. But, uh, yeah, who knows? Justin Benson, thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. It's been a pleasure, and it's like I said, I am no fan. Well, not a fan, but I can never get excited about kit cars. But I must say... Your 250 short wheelbase is as near as a recreation, as a tribute. I, I could actually see myself driving that. They are, all three of them are stunning. So thanks very much for joining me on the Backseat Driver Radio Show. Thanks for having me, Mark. It's been a pleasure.